welcome, welcome, welcome to this week's episode of the American Serial Killer Guidebook with your intrepid hosts, Elton and Cherish Morgan. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the American Serial Killer Guidebook. I'm your host, Elton Morgan. And I'm your co-host, Cherish Morgan. And we're, and we're the, the Morgans. Morgans. In this week's episode, we're investigating the life and crimes of one Gary Ridgway, also known as the Green River Killer, who raped, strangled, and murdered at least 49 teenage girls and women. He was convicted of those 49 murders, receiving 48 consecutive life sentences, making him the second most prolific serial killer in U.S. history, second only to Samuel Little, who we covered in our last episode, so make sure to check it out. He received his name after the first five victims were found along the banks of the Green River in Washington State. Ridgway was fond of returning to where he dumped his victims and having sex with their corpses, but told investigators he would draw the line if they were too rotten or had maggots on them. So would he have sex with these women before he killed them? Yes. So he'd have sex before he killed them, and then he would go back and have sex with the corpses. Yeah, he seemed to. Uh, I'm not. I don't. I never understood necrophilia. I mean, I don't condone or agree in any way with raping or killing anyone. But I mean, you can under understand. You know, they want sex, so they can't get it, so they take it from a mm-hmm. living human being. Right. But I really have zero concept of. Of sexually assaulting a rotting corpse. Yeah, that's disgusting. Not only a rotting corpse, but a rotting corpse that has been laying in the weeds by the banks of a river. You know what kind of bugs and critters and shit are crawling around? Now that you make it sound like that. Yeah, that's pretty disgusting. You don't know what's in in or on around that body. Oh, Mm -hmm. God. And then too rotten. I don't understand too rotten. Rotten's rotten. Yeah, rotten is rotten. Ugh. And then it had maggots on it. That's where he draws the line? Yeah, really? okay. <laughs> Ridgeway claims to have killed over 70 victims, though, before finally being stopped. And some are still being identified to this day. Wow. Yeah. Some were were identified recently. They're, they're finding bodies all over uh, King County, Washington, and uh, still using... DNA and uh, dental records and, you know, matching up bodies with the locations of missing persons in the areas, old cold cases, things like that. So So he would only admit to those that were actually found, but he wouldn't admit to any more past that. I guess I don't really understand why 49 is his limit. I mean, 49, 70, really, what's the difference? Yeah. You know what I mean? After that. First and second life sentence without parole. I mean, you're pretty much done. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know why he wouldn't just say, okay, this is the rest of them. This is where they're at. But he's not that bright. As you'll hear later on through some of his own, uh, through some of the clips that we have of him being interviewed, he's not the brightest penny. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's really kind of a moron. He's um, He was the developed. I I think I'm the one who's developmentally disabled. <laughs> no, he was he was disabled mentally as a child and developedly. See, I can't say it. Developmentally delayed. Okay, there we go. I don't. What is going on with me? It's, that seems to be a 
common factor in these serial killers. Their IQs are low and, you know, but somehow they seem to get away with murder. But yet, if I was to go out and murder someone, I would be caught on the spot. Right. Right. So I don't understand. It's, It's what I discuss in almost every episode, serial killer luck. You know, and like we discussed during the last episode and the one before that, most serial killers fall in the uh, low dull range mm-hmm. on the IQ scale. And once again, Gary Ridgeway was right in that spectrum. Uh, he was not uh, delayed or disabled mentally enough to require um you know, constant supervision, things like that. He could function as a normal adult. Well, not normal, but he could function as an adult. He got married a few times. He could hold down a a job long-term. He had a child, but his ability to think critically, to make sound decisions, to be able to overcome his base emotional urges, you know, things like that. He was not capable of doing. Yeah. So, um, but we're going to find out more about it here in just a few minutes. Make sure to visit us on the web at taskg.net where you can listen to all of our episodes and visit our store. And you can click the visit our store link at the top of our website to find all your serial killer and true crime gear from shirts, hoodies, mugs, masks, notebooks, pretty much anything your true crime heart desires. And it's not just logos of of our name. You can get a a variety of different um, merch that has different sayings on the shirts and and things like that. So although we want you to flaunt our our name, um, you can find other things as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have everything from... um, True Crime and Chill, to This Is My True Crime Podcast Shirt, to I'm Definitely Not a Serial Killer, to, I mean, you name it, we have it all. We have uh, shirts and hoodies and mugs and masks, things with every serial killer's picture that you can imagine, Every everything related to true crime podcasting, even a lot of stuff from very specific, famous true crime podcasts. Mm-hmm. So you may be able to find your favorite podcast's uh, logo and various merchandise on our store. Yeah, so go check it out. Yeah, because we collaborate with a lot of people. So stop in. You will not be disappointed. And they're a, a <clears throat> fairly reasonable price, too. They're oh, yeah. like 20 bucks. If that, because usually if you're a first-time customer, you go in, there's always some good deals, always good sales going on with all kinds of stuff. Yeah. You know, you can get some shirts and... Uh, Mugs, different things. Like, there's plenty of them where you can get a shirt for 11 bucks, 12 yeah. bucks. You know, we have all sizes from extra small to 5X. Yeah. So, I mean, anything you need, regardless of your, your body size, we have something that'll fit you. So, just stop on by. Cheaper than Etsy, Amazon, all oh, that. Yeah. Go check it out for sure. And a lot better designs. I mean, yeah. this is not your generic junk. This is, like, top of the line, like, really cool stuff. Yep. You know, so. Yep. <laughs> Uh, You can also find the link to our store in the episode description, along with the links to support our show through Patreon or buy us a coffee. And you'll also find the link to get a free $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up for a paid Buzzsprout account. You can use that. You can start your own podcast. We use Buzzsprout. They're a great company. Uh, They host us. They have this uh, uh, magic mastering feature that you can use. You upload your podcast to it. It automatically... uh, 
volume levels, everything. It cleans up background. It does a lot of really great stuff. So, And I, they're the ones that make it to where we appear on all the platforms yes, as well, right? Yes, they submit your podcast to all podcast So platforms. we're on Audible, Apple, Amazon. Google, we're on all those, all through Spotify, one platform. Spotify, everything. Everything. All plus, through Buzzsprout. Yeah, plus it automatically submits our episodes to our website, which is great. Yeah. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, well, babe, let's say we crack open a couple of more beers, because we're already to that point, and <laughs> discuss the sexual deviancy of one Gary Ridgeway. What let's do you say? Let's do it. All right. Let's get it on. Claiming to have murdered as many as 70 women, Gary Ridgway, known as the Green River Killer for the Seattle, Washington location where many of his victims were discovered, was America's deadliest convicted serial killer at the time, when in 2003, he pled guilty to 48 counts of murder. Born on February 18th of 1949, Gary was the second of Mary and Thomas Ridgway's three sons. Uh, he lived a troubled life. Troubled childhood. He was often a witness of violent arguments between his parents. Um, he grew up in what became SeaTac, Washington. And his dad was a bus driver. His mother was a sales clerk. And Gary later claimed that his mother engaged in inappropriate behavior. Okay, this is weird. He alleged that after wetting the bed, which was a habit that followed him into his early teens... She would wash his genitals. Mm. In his teens? Yeah. So he would, she would, I guess, take him into the bathtub, make him strip down. And at at that age, that's sexual abuse. Yeah. In the guise of, of of concerned parenting, you know, that's. Mm -hmm. And I saw in one of his interviews where. He used to watch his mother. He fantasized about having sex with her, you know, and killing her. But we'll get to that in just a just a minute. Um, well, right now, as a matter of fact, because <laughs> at some point he began fantasizing about having sex with and killing her. And in the mid-1960s, when he was 15 or 16 years old, his deviant thoughts took a, a violent turn. Uh, Gary stabbed a six-year-old boy, and he said he did it just to see how stabbing worked. He just wanted to see how it felt, how it worked. So, uh, you know, not going to stab a, a fucking grapefruit or a, or a watermelon or even a, you know, God forbid, a cat or a dog or something. He decides he's going to go after a six-year-old boy. What movie was it that we watched where the boy went out and started killing animals just to kind of see what it was like to stab them and mm. and get inside and see what it was, what it felt like. Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I, I don't remember have... off the top of my head, but I know what you're talking yeah. about. Um, after graduating from Tai Yi High School in 1969, Gary married his high school girlfriend, Claudia Craig, and then he joined the United States Navy at the age of 20. He served two years in the Navy on board a supply ship during the Vietnam War And while he was in Vietnam, much like many other soldiers, he had frequent intercourse with prostitutes. That's pretty normal. Yeah, that led him to contracting gonorrhea, which kind of began his hatred of prostitutes. Well, I mean, what do you expect? You're going to catch something if you're out 
screwing prostitutes. Especially in Vietnam in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. You know. Don't get mad at them. Get mad at yourself. Right. And uh, when he left the Navy, he settled in the Seattle area. Um, so he went back home. Yeah. Yeah. He he continued to use hookers and it eventually caused the breakup of his first marriage, which lasted less than a year. Um, I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who would who would get upset that their husband was nailing hookers left and right? You know, who knows what he probably brought home? Yeah. Know, I mean, on. I totally wouldn't have been mad Yeah, after the fifth or sixth STD and, you know, her vagina falling off you know she probably had enough <laughs> um he met the love of his life again uh in marcia winslow whom he married and the couple had a son named matthew in 75 and during his second marriage he decided that he was going to change his ways he was going to become highly religious and he started doing the uh, preaching door to door you know, yeah. So I'm I'm guessing it's a lot like, you know, what the Mormons do and, you know, go door to door. Yeah. So but unfortunately, his cravings got the better of him because despite his beliefs, he continued to visit hookers, prostitutes, and he started encouraging his wife to engage in really risque sexual activities you know, like having sex in public and in appropriate places. So, and uh, a lot of the women in his life who were interviewed later claimed that he had an insatiable sexual appetite. And eventually his first two marriages ended in divorce because of infidelity. That'll do it. Yeah. So, I mean, no matter how much he was getting at home, he constantly had to go seek out prostitutes. I mean, that tells you right there when you have this overwhelming urge that you just... I mean, it's a daily thing, you know, even later in life. I mean, come on. I've heard those men that have a sexual uh, addiction that they, even though they have a wife at home at their disposal, they still go out and find it elsewhere. They just can't can't help. A lot of people can't help themselves. Yeah. You know, and that goes both ways. It's not just men or women that do the exact same thing. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, Over a 20 year period, Ridgeway methodically raped and strangled scores of women, you know, most of them prostitutes and runaways dumping their bodies across a wide area of King County, Washington. And he did it to confuse authorities. You know, he would dump him in one place, then he'd go all the way on the other side of the County and dump them there. And then to another corner of the County and investigators believe that throughout his whole spree of, of rape and murder, he he was mild mannered. He never spoke to any one of his killings, and uncharacteristically of serial killers, he didn't keep trophies. Most of them will. They'll take something, a piece of clothing, a piece of jewelry, cut the breast off. Things <laughs> yeah, like right. That. Try to make a paperweight out of it. Like yeah, yeah like uh, who was that? Larry Eiler. Larry Eiler. Yeah, that was. You guys was, should go check that oh, one. Oh no, out. no, that was Jerry Brudos. Jerry, Jerry Brudos. Brudos. Yeah, go check that one out. He was. Oof. He kept cutting off women's breasts, trying to uh, trying to use them as molds to make breast-shaped paperweights. Yeah, Amongst that's, other things. Yeah, that's one of our other episodes. You're going to want to go check out Jerry Brudos. He's a, a special kind of freak. And stupid. <laughs> oh, God. But man, was he lucky. That serial killer luck. And uh, the whole time he's doing this, he maintained his job, you know, as a truck painter at the Kenworth plant in Renton. And he 
eventually managed to marry for the third time. And this woman was with him up until the day he got arrested. And she refused to believe it until finally, you know, after seeing all the evidence, she finally gave in and realized that the man she was with was a monster. But in 1980, Ridgway was arrested for choking a prostitute, but no charges were filed because he claimed that the woman bit him. <laughs> yeah. Two years later, he was arrested for solicitation, and he was believed to have begun killing women shortly after that. So because of those two interactions with police, they knew that he frequented local prostitutes. And... uh why did Gary do it? I guess sometimes the pressures of life just get to become too much for you. So uh, let's let Gary tell us. All, all the pressure just build and build and build and build. My releasing point was killing, killing women. You heard him. Release was to kill women. Yeah. The pressures of daily life would build up. And finally, he would only way he could calm himself down and relax was to go out and rape and murder some poor young girl. Was this stemmed from getting gonorrhea early in the in the beginning or was this stemmed from his mother sexually abusing him and and I think all of it played a, a part. Age? I think all of it played a part and I think that it may have all started on accident like he was with a prostitute and he was stressed out and he was just trying to Relax, and then some one thing led to another, and he may have killed her. And then afterwards, he just felt good about himself or something. Maybe he got all of his anger out, and he thought, "Hey, that felt good. Let me go do it again." This is my new meditation. Yeah, yeah. So that's I'm guessing that's how that happened. I mean, I don't know. He never really went into too much detail about it, but they found the body of his first victim on the 15th of July in 1982 and it was a strangled body of wendy caulfield she was a 16 year old prostitute from Pulliup, washington and they found her floating in the green river near the city of kent in washington as well and over the following weeks four more bodies were discovered along its banks all women all strangled and then on the 12th of august in 82, the body of 23-year-old Deborah Lynn Bonner was found along the banks of the Green River. She had gone missing on the 15th of July uh, from Pacific Highway South. Okay, remember that because that's going to be relevant later. Pacific Highway South. She grew up poor, and her family and friends called her Dub. This is Deborah Bonner we're talking about. They called her Dub. And she was, by all accounts, a good girl who just fell in with the wrong crowd. And she eventually dropped out of high school and uh, started drinking, started fighting with her parents. And after she lost her job at the local Dairy Queen in South Tacoma, she decided she was going to join the Navy. But then she failed the the test to get in the Navy. So she decided, well, she's going to get her GED. But then... Before she had the chance, she met uh, a guy named Robert L. Martin, 27 years old, and he was a known drug-dealing pimp in the Tacoma area. Well, as a lot of young girls will do, pimps can razzle-dazzle you. She became infatuated with him. She agreed to work as a prostitute to support him. (laughs) And three days later, 100 yards south of where she was found, 
On August 15th, three more bodies were found. That's a really sad story. She she wanted the good things in life, and she tried, but she just didn't have the family support there to help her along the way. That's right. Sounds like. It just goes to show you that something as simple as, you know, being supportive of your child can make the difference between life and death. Um, King County Detective David Reichert was one of the first authorities to arrive at the scene. Um, they found 31-year-old Marsha Faye Chapman. She was a single mom of three. Uh, she was supporting her children through prostitution, which unfortunately, I mean, you got three kids. You can't, you know, sometimes nobody will hire you. And, you know, people tend to look down on prostitutes, but sometimes you don't have a choice. That's all they have, yeah. You get backed into a corner, you have to have, you have a choice. You can either go turn a trick and feed your kids tonight. Or your kids can go hungry for the next three weeks while you're filling out DHS applications Absolutely. and all this other bullshit, you know. Yeah. So when people need things right now, sometimes you have to do things right now. Yeah. So. Times get desperate. That's right. And she went missing on August 1st. And she was found in the shallow water alongside the body of Cynthia Jean Hines. All right. She was a 14-year-old prostitute who went missing on August 11th. And nearby, in the undergrowth, lay the body of Opal Charmaine Mills. She was 16. She went missing on August 12th. He liked him young. Yes, he did. Oh, my God. Yes, he did. That's sickening. Yes. these He's not killing grown women who have had a chance to live. I mean, he is, but yeah. he he prefers teenage girls who don't know any better. You know, they can't defend themselves. They're being manipulated and used by grown men who are their pimps, yep. putting them in dangerous situations, telling them they'll protect them and take care of them, and they love them and stuff. And these these little girls are believing what these guys are telling them, and they're ending up dead on the side of a river. And when they found her, when they found Opal Mills, um, she had a pair of blue pants on. They found them tied around her neck. Her breasts were exposed. There were bruises all over her arms and legs. And Opal Mills and Cynthia Hines were friends. And their bodies were found together, you know, a day apart. And they went missing a day apart. But authorities never figured out how Ridgeway managed to link them together because Opal Mills was not engaged in prostitution. Yeah, was that just a coincidence, or maybe he killed them all at the same time but dumped them in separate locations or at separate times? I don't know. Um, maybe he 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 kidnapped um, Cynthia Hines and then raped and murdered her. And but before he did, maybe he met Opal somewhere and then decided to go back for her the next day. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's it's but they're just little girls. They didn't deserve what they got. On the 16th of August, finally, a police task force was put together. And and this is it was formed in 82 by Major Richard Kraske. He was the head of the criminal investigation division, and they had 25 officers, mostly King County officers, but some from Kent and Pierce County as well. But that group was dismantled in November of 82. Okay. So, yeah. It lasted three, four months. Um, they closed it down after investigators concluded that the most likely suspect for the crimes was a cab driver from the city of Lacey. 
and they placed him under surveillance and so that detectives could work to try to gather evidence against him. It's because they were prostitutes and and didn't have a lot of money. If if they were some high roller in the city, that they would have had a whole squad trying to figure out right the murders. Yeah, and while officials have never officially cleared the cab driver, it soon became apparent that he couldn't have committed the crimes because while he was under surveillance, that's when some of the victims disappeared. Right. So they dis they were so sure that this cab driver was their guy that they dismantled the entire task force just so that the few detectives they had left could follow him and try to gather evidence. There was no reason to to Wait, investigate Simon. anyone else. Right. Because they knew he was their guy. And then guess what? It turned out he wasn't their guy. So they wasted all that time, disbanded their task force and then basically threw away any real chance they had of finding the killer at the time. Over the next two years, the Green River Killer sexually assaulted and murdered more than 40 women. And Detective Reichert said that every time he found a body, it was like being hit on the head with a baseball bat. Maybe they should have thought of that before they disbanded the damn task force. Exactly. If you have one specific suspect that you're just sure is your guy... You still continue investigating other leads. You just put a few people on this guy. You don't disband anything until you have absolute goddamn proof. Like I said, if the victims were came from families with money, if it was a congressman's daughter or the mayor's daughter or the mayor's brother-in-law's daughter or something like that, yeah, they and that still holds true today. It's all about who you know. Yeah, they'd have brought the fucking national guard in to search for the killer, and that's really sad. Um. Okay, so up in ninety, up in eighty three, on the thirty first of January, they found the body of sixteen year old Linda Jane Rule, and they found her on the campus of Northwest Hospital. And like other Green River victims, you know, she had a troubled background. She dropped out of middle school. She left her family home at fourteen. Uh, she was an occasional drug user, and unfortunately, she turned to sex work to support herself. And on September 26th of 82, Linda, 16-year-old Linda, had left her motel room. She was in a good mood. She was engaged to her boyfriend. His name is Bobby. She was, you know, he was eight years older than her. She's 14, so this guy's 22. So he's a child molester. Yeah. Pimp. Yeah, definitely. And she was really looking forward to having high hopes to have a regular life. And... She was last seen walking towards a Seattle Kmart, and then poof, gone. So on the 27th of April, 1983, the Green River Killer finally becomes a target of the largest murder investigation in the country. All right, finally, enough people have died, enough or disappeared, that they've it's made enough news, you know, national news. So now they're under the pressure to try to get something accomplished. Mm-hmm. So the sheriff Vern Thomas estimates that the, the cost just for the search in 1983 was $2 million. That's a lot of money back then. Yeah. That's a lot of money now. So you can imagine that's probably 6 million back then, yeah. you know, and Gary Ridgeway finally becomes a suspect on April 30th of 83. So, In the spring of 83, 
a prostitute named Mary Malvar. She was 18. She was last seen by her boyfriend, a.k.a. Pimp, getting into a paint patch pickup with a dark-haired man who is about 30 to 40 years old. Uh, the boyfriend, he, he got a bad feeling about Gary, right? So he decided to follow his truck, but he eventually lost him. And Marie Malvar was never seen alive again. But the truck was identified as belonging to Ridgeway because he drove around, right? He ended up running into the boyfriend, the the father, Marie Malvar's dad, came over to her boyfriend's house looking for her, mm-hmm. right? And he finally told her what happened or told him what happened. So the dad and the boyfriend went driving around looking for that truck and they found it. At Ridgeway, parked at Ridgeway's house. Mm-hmm. So they got the license plate, everything. They went and told the police, you know, he said, my daughter's missing. This is the last person that she was seen with. Right. So the cops end up going, you know, they identified the vehicles belonging to Ridgeway. Then they went to his house to talk to him about it. Okay. So they questioned him at his house. And of course he denied knowing her. Yeah, of course. So they came back. This is in April of 83. They came back in November and they spoke to him again about the murders, but he denied any knowledge of the victims, and they didn't have any evidence to connect him to any of the crimes. But years later, in 2003, this is when he's being interviewed two, two years after he's caught, Ridgway told investigators that he stood against a fence during his original 1983 questioning. Right, The cops are talking to him at his house about Marie Malvar. He's leaning up against the fence, and... He's got scratches on his left arm that Marie Malvar gave him while she was trying to escape. Mm -hmm. So he hit his arm. And when the police left, he used battery acid to burn the scratches to disguise them. They should have caught those scratches anyway. I mean, they weren't really interested in finding anybody. They didn't care about finding their. She was Latina. She was a prostitute. This is the early 80s, you know. I mean, they were more interested in where they were going bowling that weekend or, yeah. you know, something like that. But, yep. you know, we can hear exactly what Ridgeway did in his own voice. Tell us what tell us what happened, Gary. I put battery acid myself right here and there okay. to cover up scratches. So there's a scratch here, scratches here from uh, Milvar. What a coward. Yeah. But he was clever enough to cover it up with battery acid. That's pretty much the only way that you could disguise a scratch. Because you can't put a bigger scratch over a smaller scratch. But, well, I, I mean. that battery acid burned real good. Yeah, me too. Me too. On the 3rd of May in, in uh, 83, this is uh, shortly after he became a suspect, about a month uh, Carol Christensen, she was a 21 years old. She d- disappeared from Pacific Highway South. This is south of Seattle. You remember I told you guys earlier to pay attention to that Pacific Highway South because it was relevant and because, once again, this, is, this young lady disappeared from there. So her body was found five days later in a wooded area in a place called Maple Valley. That's southeast of Seattle. And... What makes her kind of stand out is that when they found her, she had a paper bag on her head, a brown paper bag. 
And when they removed it, there was a a fish laying across her neck. I don't know why he thought. I mean, I don't know why, but maybe he put the paper bag on her head so she couldn't look at him when he was raping the body. Maybe the fish was disguised the smell of a rotting dead corpse. Maybe she was laying close enough to the water. The water had been up and a fish had swum in the bag and then the water went down. The fish died. I mean, who knows? That seems more of a believable story. Yeah, it's just some weird shit. <laughs> um, just a short right at the end of the summer there on August 11th of 83 authorities found the body of Shonda Leah Summers and they found her at one of his dump sites around King County and they're not really sure when she was born authorities believe it was sometime in 1965 although her birthday to this date still remains to be confirmed she was never identified by family? no she was identified but for some reason, they couldn't verify her date of birth. Oh, okay. So they think she was born in 65, but they don't have an exact date. Right. Uh, they do have a lot more information, which seems strange. I don't know why they can't confirm her date of birth, but she was one of three children. Uh, she had a history of prostitution, and she was only 17 years old at the time of her disappearance. And she also disappeared along Pacific Highway South. In October of 82. So this is the third young lady that disappeared on Pacific Highway South. So that pinpoints that area, that stretch of road as... The prostitution, maybe. Well, it's Gary Ridgeway's hunting grounds. Right. I just wonder if that's the the strip where the prostitutes were walking. I think there's a specific area there where there's motels and and stores and maybe bars along that strip of road right there and you know the prostitutes out there it's easy to kind of thumb it on the highway make it look like you're walking jump in somebody's car and zip down to the motel or or i guess pull off into the boonies and do what you're going to do but yeah on the 20th of november of 83 police still have an eye Identified Ridgeway 100%, but they are willing to say that 11 of the women that were found murdered in South King County, since 82, they're positive that they were all killed by the same man, so they know they have a serial killer on their hands. I mean, they're sure of it by this point. And then in January of 84, the head of the police department's major crime section, one Captain Frank Adamson... And then Sheriff Vern Thomas announced that they were forming the second Green River Task Force. And it had 43 officers, including detectives, plainclothes, patrol officers, support staff, crime analysts, forensic experts. They were going all out this time. They weren't going to make the same mistake that they did last last time. You know? Right. Oh, well, we got a task force, but we think it's this guy. So, you know, we'll, we'll just stop it. everything. Yeah, we'll just stop everything and just follow this one guy. Yeah. I don't know who the fuck thought that was a good idea. I'm serious. That still just blows my mind. I know it's 1983, but goddamn. Reminds me of somebody in fucking Mayberry. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say Biden, but <laughs> yeah, let's not get political. Um, <laughs> In April, April 1st, actually, April Fool's Day of 84, they found the body of 16-year-old Terry Renee Milligan near Star Lake Road. And she had been missing since August 29th of 82. So that's pretty much like a year, almost a year and a half she'd been laying out there. 
And I was doing some research on her and by all accounts, she was a brilliant young student. She was dreaming of attending Yale. Um, she wanted to study computer science and unfortunately she became pregnant in middle school, you know, and they forced her to drop out of school. She never had a chance to go back. Uh, by other accounts, she was a devoted mother to her, her little baby boy, but she was living in a motel with her boyfriend, you know, and was supporting both of them through prostitution. What's the deal with these men who, rather than get a job, they expect their quote-unquote girlfriends to support them by prostituting themselves to strangers? You know, those I, I hesitate to call them even men. They're not men. No man does that. Right, no. You know, the worthless fucking garbage does that. Yeah. Waste of air. Bags of skin do that. But... um. At that time, four other skeletons, when they found her body, four other skeletons were found at the same time. And this put the official number of victims at 20. And at the end of April on the, of 84, on the 20th, they found two more sets of remains, including those of an unconfirmed Green River victim named Amina Agashev. She was 36 and they from near North Bend. They haven't verified 100% that she is a Green River victim, but some are saying she is, some are saying she isn't. I felt like we needed to include her. Even if she's not, I want people to hear her name. I want people to know she existed. You know, I want to try to give her at least some semblance of a voice. Right. Because I'm sure there are other people who are just going to pass her by. She was a person. She was a young woman. And she deserves to be acknowledged as having existed. So. Absolutely. In May of 84, Ridgeway with his goddamn serial killer luck. Okay. He was already a person of interest due to the fact that the cops knew that he was patronizing prostitutes in the area. He gets this bright idea to contact police and tell them he wants to help with the case. Okay. <laughs> This is not unique to him. Other serial killers have tried to insert themselves in active investigations they have, yeah. to, you know, stay up to date on what the police know, to be able to try to manipulate and steer investigations, right. you know, the wrong way. But they made him take a polygraph test. They knew something was up with this guy. They knew who it was. I mean, two women who were last who, who disappeared, two of the women that were found were last seen with Ridgeway. Okay, so they're playing along with him. He they gave him a polygraph test. He passed it. He denied killing any women and passed the fucking test. I think the reason he passed it was because he was just too stupid to be scared. <laughs> right. And that's what it reads. It reads the 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 increased heart rate, the increased respiration, the increased blood pressure. And that all comes from knowing that you're lying. Yeah. And being scared you're going to get caught. Yeah. When you just sit there and you have no thoughts in your head at all, you're or just no looking remorse. at it. You're just a brick wall. Yeah, you, you're breathing and all, all of your, you know, biological rhythms and things are not going to change. No. So, I guess you can beat a test with stupidity. Um, well, it's hard to have feelings when you have no empathy. That's, so. that's true. That's very, very true. That does play a part, I'm sure, because serial killers are known to be, have no compassion, no empathy. Right. You know, no regrets. Right. So if you don't feel 
scared. If you don't feel regret, if you don't feel compassion or empathy, you're not going to care. And if you don't care, you know, your heart rate, your breathing, everything's not going to change. Right. So serial killers actually have an advantage over normal people when it comes to taking polygraph tests. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I never thought about that. It's a good point, babe. Um, detectives later discovered uh, a police report from 1982 where Ridgeway was found with a prostitute in a parked car. And two years later, a body was found nearby to where he was found with that prostitute. Of course, they couldn't pin it on it, but this is the third strike. This is, he was found, I mean, he was last seen with two of the missing girls, and now this. They know they got, they know who their guy is, right? But they can't do shit about it. Yeah. Um, by December 9th of 84, the, the suspected number of victims rises to 42. They've identified 28 of them, but 14 women are still missing. And they're out of ideas. They're, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. So they decide, well, they don't decide. They're contacted by Ted Bundy in 1986, right? So with... No leads. Authorities were desperate. So King County homicide detective Robert Keppel, he started talking to Bundy in Florida in November of 84. And after receiving a startling letter one day in October 84, you know, he says, I was buried in a pile of paperwork on my desk. I look up to see Detective Ed Stridinger of the Seattle Police Department. And this is quoting him. He had retrieved a letter from a judge in Pierce County who wanted it delivered to task force staff. It was a letter from a wannabe consultant and the most unlikely person he ever expected to be of assistance in the Green River murders. The letter came from a cell on death row in Florida, and the sender was Theodore Robert Bundy. He said that Reichert and Keppel flew to Florida where Bundy was being held on death row. All right, this is... They first received the letter and stuff in 84 and through all of, you know, everything and uh, talking to Bundy and flying down there, flying back, you know, cause they didn't have, of course they didn't have video conferencing, things like that. They didn't want to do it over the phone. Right. So over this, it took a total of two years before they finally started getting somewhere with him. And I just can't believe that they were dealing with Bundy. I mean, that's crazy. But during the discussions, Bundy told them that the killer may be revisiting his victim's corpses and performing sexual acts on them. And it was a hypothesis that Ridgway himself later confirmed. Gary, and did you revisit any of these? I revisited at least one of them. And when we say revisit, what did you come back to do? Have sex with her. Straight out of the horse's mouth. At least one of them. Yeah, that's like telling a cop I only had two beers. Let me put that clip into a little bit of context. All right. Whenever he asked Gary that, that interview right there was actually taking place in an SUV. And they're on a dirt road right next to a wooded area in next to the Green River. So they're actually going to one of his dump sites where four or five girls were found. So when he says that he had sex with at least one of them, you know, he came back to have sex with at least one of them. He means out of that little bitty group in that particular dump site. Right. So there were other women in other places that he had come back and abused their bodies. 
You have to be specific with your question. Yeah, I, I, I needed to put that, that clip into more context. So now you know. In April 8th of 87, Ridgeway decides to provide a DNA sample, and this was eventually going to be his downfall. Okay. So because he was the last person seen with two of the victims, the police decided to search his home and his vehicles in 87 in connection with the murders. But none of the items that were found, they found carpet fibers, ropes, none of them could be linked to the victims. And the police are like, hey, you got to give us a saliva sample. And he's like, sure, why not? You know, DNA is new. He probably hadn't even heard of it. Yeah. You know, at this time, this is 1987. I'm sure he probably had no idea what it was, and he's thinking, well, I didn't spit on them, so their spit's not going to do him any good, I guess. I don't know. But the technology they had available at the time, it wasn't able to match the saliva with any of the semen recovered from the bodies. So, like I said, DNA was still very early on, and it was in its infancy in 87, and the tests were not detailed enough. You know, so they weren't able to go in and be able to identify specific DNA strands and link them specifically to people. I think they at the time they were only able to say, okay, these people are, you know, within a certain range of likelihood. You know, nowadays it's ninety nine point nine 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 percent. Right. Back then it might have been forty five percent accurate or something or less. It wasn't enough. And DNA, like I said, was not. Uh, validated and and well, what uh, it wasn't used enough. People didn't understand enough about it to make it valid in court. Right. So it wasn't justified. It wasn't it wasn't um, utilized as frequently as it needed to be until much later. Um, on the 30th of May in 88, they found the body of Deborah Estes. She was 15, and she was found in a place called Federal Way. She'd gone missing on the 15th of September, or I mean the 20th of September of 82. And back when she was 12 years old, she, she had some problems with her family. She ran away a lot. She'd have arguments at home with her parents. And she finally left home in 82. You know, she was 15 years old. She stole $250 from her mom's purse, and she decided it was time to be on her own. Uh, she began living in motel to motel. She, once again, she had an older boyfriend like these girls tend to do. They tend to gravitate, gravitate towards Just some older guy. Right. Who's able to say, I lo- oh, I love you. I'll take care of you. Hey, why don't you do this to make us some money? Yeah. You know, it don't mean nothing, baby. It's just sex. You'll, you'll always be my number one. All that crap. Yeah. Um, at one point, a guy forced her to perform oral sex at gunpoint in September of 82. And she was she went to the police and she agreed to work with them and try to fi- find the guy, file charges against him. All right. And while I was reading up on this. There are some people who believe that the guy that forced her at gunpoint was Ridgeway. Don't doubt it. Right. And she was ready to testify against him in court, everything. But then she disappeared. And Abracadabra, later turns out, she turned out to be one of his victims. So some people believe that it was silencing a witness. I mean, you know, a victim. Yeah. He went back to take her out. And I don't know. I just, 
I just can't understand why he was going after such little girls. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, who can get into the mind of a serial killer? Yeah. Child molester. Yeah. Fucking. I'm getting worked up. I need to calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff. We've got daughters between us. So, I mean, we, this is, it, it just gets to me, you know? Yeah. I think about somebody hurting one of our kids and makes me want to rush right out and murder this guy on the spot. But um, on the 20th of September in 1990, the body of Marta Reeves was found along Highway 410 near a place called Enumclaw, which is southeast of Seattle. She was 36 years old, and Marta was last heard from. She made a phone call to her husband on March 5th. That was the last anyone heard of her. So she must not have been a prostitute if she was calling her husband. No, no, she wasn't a prostitute. She was just had the unfortunate experience of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Okay, so you remember how the second task force was gung-ho. They had all these investigators, forensic analysts, Mm -hmm. all this stuff. Okay, so by July of 91, the Green River Task Force is reduced to one investigator. Of course it is. Yeah, so they're back down to one guy. By August 16th of 98, a wrecking crew found the body of Patricia Ann Yellowrobe. She was 38 from Seattle. And her death certificate says she died of accidental drug and alcohol overdose. But investigators later told her family that she was a Green River killer victim. And she was the eldest of Gary's known victims. She was the oldest one at 38 years old. Which, it seems weird. Maybe he was desperate. There were no young girls for the picking. Mm -hmm. You know, they were, by that time, they were maybe being more cautious. Yeah. Um, She was let. Last seen in the Seattle area in January of 98, and then they found her in Seattle on August 16th of 98. So it took eight months for him to find her body. Oh. Yeah. On the 2nd of November 99, new DNA processes were in regular use, and they were using the identify remains near the Green River. And they identified the remains of a girl that was found in 1986. It was 19-year-old Tracy Ann Winston. And she was last seen near Northgate Mall in Seattle on the 12th of September in 83. So it took from 83 to 99. Okay, that's 16 years this poor girl went unidentified. Well, they found her in 86, so 13 years. She sat there as a Jane Doe for 13 years. Her parents had no idea where she was, but finally they got, thanks to the new DNA tech, her parents finally got some closure, That's you know? Good. Yeah. yeah. On March, in March of 2001, I mean, by this time, DNA is just, I mean, the technology is just exploding, you know, from 99 to 2001, that's just a couple of years, but it was just Every year, it's like exponential growth. They're figuring out new ways to do this, new ways to do that. The tests are getting more sensitive. They're being able to do all kinds of stuff. Right. Right. Well, this is when DNA connects Ridgeway to three of the murders. So investigators, with all this new forensic testing at their disposal, they reexamined the evidence from the years across the years that the killer had been active. All right. They said it was a last-ditch effort. Uh, Beverly Hemick, she was a Washington State Patrol Crime Laboratory forensic scientist. 
She said, we didn't have a lot to work with, but we went through a lot of evidence again. You know, she they rinsed all the fingernails to look for trace evidence. They swabbed the ligatures for cellular material. And with one girl, they were lucky enough, they found a few sperm clinging to her pubic hair. All right. I don't know if they actually, I'm guessing they didn't have the bodies. Right. At the time, they may have in their lab, but I, I really seriously doubt they're keeping them for you know, 20 years. Yeah, they just kept samples. Yeah, I think they clipped all the fingernails. They shaved all the pubic hair and various stuff like that off and kept those. Right. That's my guess. I don't know. If anyone out there knows exactly what the process is and how they probably went about doing this, please contact us. Let us know. To Go to our website, send us a message, send us an email, something. Uh, I'm interested to know about how this works. And... Okay, so the new DNA profiles from the three victims were compared with Ridgeway's DNA. And this is all thanks to the saliva sample that he gave in 87. Okay, boom, match in all three cases. They got him. They got Good. him. You know, nowadays, there's no ifs, ands, or buts, no second guessing it. The shit is, if DNA pegs you, shit, that's it. That's fucking you, man. So on the 30th of November in 91, uh, they announced the arrest of... The Green River Killer. They got him nearly two decades after the first murder. And by this time, he's King County Sheriff and later to become Congressman David Reichert announced that Ridgeway, 52 years old at the time, was arrested in connection with four of the Green River Killer's early victims. And that those victims were Marsha Chapman, Opal Mills, Cynthia Hines and Caroline Christensen, whose body was recovered in 83. So. Let's jump ahead two years later, March 27th of 03. Ridgeway is finally charged with three more counts of aggravated first-degree murder in the deaths of Wendy Lee Caulfield, Deborah Estes, Deborah Bonner. And he, once again, he pleads innocent. All right, of course, I'm innocent. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Um, on June 13th of 03, he pleads guilty. As long as he can avoid the death penalty... And the deal requires that he help investigators solve as many Green River cases as possible. Okay. On the 16th of August, also in 03, there's some crews searching a wooded area east of Enumclaw, and they find the remains of Pammy Annette Avent. She was a 16-year-old girl who disappeared from Seattle in October 26th of 83, and she just left her house one day and was gone. That's how quick that shit can happen. Yep, yep. Um, August 21st through 23rd of 03, detectives find human bones in another wooded area near Kent. So in August, they're really putting it through the paces. At the end of August, early September, they're searching an area near Snoqualmie. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. They found the remains of April Dawn Buttram. She's 17. She was last seen in 83, waiting at a bus stop in Rainier Valley. Late September, same year, crews are searching a wooded area near Auburn. They find the remains of Marie Malvar. Finally, the prostitute whose boyfriend tried to chase her in the truck, mm -hmm. you know, tried to follow her and disappeared. Then her, her dad showed up. They went looking, found Ridgeway's truck, all that. They finally found her um, at the end of September of 2003. Wow. Right. She disappeared April 30th of 1983. Yeah, I was going to say that was in the 80s. Yeah. So a little over 
20 years, this poor girl. Her dad had to go without knowing. Her dad knew who did it, but he couldn't prove it. And he didn't know where she was. Yeah. The poor guy. Yeah. Finally, on November 5th of 03, Ridgeway pleads guilty. Right. Although he initially proclaimed his innocence, he confessed to all the crimes, stating he wanted to kill as many prostitutes as possible. Okay, and that's the plea deal that would spare him death penalty in return for his confession, information regarding details of the murders and locations of the bodies. And he entered a guilty plea to 48 charges of aggravated first-degree murder. You can plead guilty all you want to. 48 charges of first-degree murder, you're not getting out. But I'm glad that he admitted to some. You can always, and you can hear how soft-spoken he is through this. I mean... The guy's just, he gives me the creeps. Mr. Ridgeway, how do you plead to the charge of aggravated murder in the first degree as charged in count one? Guilty. The charge of aggravated murder in the first degree as charged in count five? Guilty. Mr. Ridgeway, how do you plead to the charge of aggravated murder in the first degree for the death of Marcia Chapman? Guilty. For the death of Mary B. Meehan? Guilty. Count 19 for the death of Linda Rule? Guilty. How do you plead to the charge of aggravated murder in the first degree as charged in count 48? Guilty. He's just guilty. Yeah, just sounding like just having so, a normal conversation. So matter of fact. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you want something to drink? Coke. Not guilty. Yeah. Guilty. The guy has no emotions at, at that point. He's just like, whatever. You know, I'm caught. Fuck it. Um, you know, he says he killed to quote him. He says, I killed so many women. I have a hard time keeping them straight. All right. And he admitted that he killed most of his victims in his house or his truck before disposing of the bodies. And he added that in most cases, he didn't even know their names. Most of to quote him again, most of the time I killed them the first time I met them. And I do not have a good memory for their faces. So he didn't know their names. And he didn't even bother remembering what they looked like. They were just prostitutes, and he just seen them from behind anyway. Yeah, that's it. They were nothing. They were a release of pent-up energy. Yeah, naturally sad. And when they asked him to explain why he chose women he thought was prostitutes, he said they were easy to pick up without being noticed. I knew they would not be reported missing right away and might never be reported missing. I picked up prostitutes because I thought I could kill as many of them as I wanted without getting caught. Gary, in his own words, what possible reason could you have for wanting to murder so many women? Was it just sexual gratification or was it something else? Let's see what he has to say. I just love killing women. Maybe I didn't have no morals. Conscience didn't stop me. I want to be the best serial killer out there. It was just a killing spree going for the count. It was just a killing spree going for the count. It, it started out as a release. Mm-hmm. And then once he started racking them up, he decided, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the fucking best. How many best. can I get? Yeah, I'm going to go until I surpass everyone else's records. Yep. And at the time, he was. He was, at the time, he was the most prolific serial killer, known serial killer. Yeah. Little did we know that uh, Mr. Samuel Little was keeping pace with him and 
surpassing his ass. You know what I mean? Which is scary because guess what? I guarantee out there right now, there's a serial killer who surpassed Samuel Little. Mm -hmm. And we don't know. He may or may not ever be caught. Yeah, there's probably several different serial killers out there right now that just have the urge or with have even killed high numbers. Yeah. I mean, there are people probably that haven't been caught that have well over 100 kills and still going. Yeah. It's scary. It could be the guy across the street. Yeah. It could be the guy down the block. And you never. Oh, geez, Louise, man. (laughs) And we have daughters out there. It's scary. In December 18th of 2003, Ridgeway was finally sentenced. And for his crimes, King County Superior Court judge sentences Ridgeway to 48 life sentences and to be served consecutively with no possibility of parole and ordered to pay $480,000 in fines. A lot of people say, well, what good's that going to do? You know, well, why give him fines if he's going to be in prison? Yeah. Well, guess what? You get paid to work in prison. It's not much, but you get paid. And whenever you have fines, you have to pay a percentage of your little jailhouse wages to pay off your fines. Yeah. And the higher your fines, the higher the percentage that they take out of your wages. All right. So not only did they guarantee that he was never getting out of prison, but they also guaranteed that he was never, ever going to have any money Good. while he was in there. Yeah, you know, he he's, not gonna anyway. be, he's not going to be sitting there eating honey buns and chips and shit. You know, he's going to be working all day and not getting shit for it. Good. Ugh. So in 2011, Ridgeway pled guilty to a 49th homicide, admitting he killed 20-year-old Rebecca Marrero, and she was among his first victims. She was last seen in 82. And a tearful Ridgeway gave his apologies to the families in court before being led away, but from what I saw, none of them appeared to show the slightest interest. Oh, he wanted to show sympathy there at the end when he was being carried away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know where this came from. He even managed to scare up a couple of of tears. I'm sorry for killing these ladies. They had their whole lives ahead of themselves, ahead of them. I'm sorry for causing so much pain to so many families. All I can say is bullshit. Yeah, bullshit. Bullshit. He he said in the other clip, you know, he had no conscience, no morals. He wanted it was all about the kill count. Yeah. Now all of a sudden he's I'm sorry. Oh, these families. Oh, these girls had their whole lives ahead of them. Bullshit. He didn't give a damn about it then for twenty years of murdering these poor young women and dumping their bodies like they were garbage. Now all of a sudden he's sniffling and crying in court. Yeah, it's just a show. He don't give a shit. Give me a fucking break, man. Well, Ridgeway is serving a sentence of life without parole 48 times at the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington. Uh, every time I say that, it reminds me of Looney Tunes. Walla Walla. Yeah, Walla Walla Acme, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, ladies and gentlemen... We have come to, come to the end of another episode. Make sure to stay and listen to our closing. And uh, we just want to thank you for stopping in. I tell you, it's it's these days where we get a chance to talk to you and, and discuss the serial killers and various murderers and things like this. I enjoy doing this with my wife. And it's, it's I mean, we get the t- chance to talk throughout the day and stuff, but 
when we get to sit sit down and do this and record and sit across from each other and I get to look at her and she looks at me and you know she makes me smile and I make her laugh and you know it really is kind of a bonding experience brings us closer together and I'm glad that we get to share that with you guys so thanks for listening and uh hope to see you guys next week bye bye Thanks for joining us this week on the American Serial Killer Guidebook. Be sure to subscribe. Visit us at taskg.net. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And join us next week for another exciting episode filled with murder and mayhem.